Hey, what's up, guys? Before we get started today with my friend, Garrett Gunderson, I hope he's okay with me calling him his friend. Really enjoy talking with this guy. Uh, I want to invite you to join me over on YouTube. This actually came out on YouTube several weeks before he hit the podcast. I was having some issues with my podcast editor that, uh, yeah, just haven't worked out. So, And I'm trying to build that community over there on YouTube because unlike here on the podcast, you guys can leave comments, we can chat, I can actually interact with you here. I just get to see that somebody downloaded it, don't necessarily know who, don't necessarily get to know your feedback. So I want to enjoy there. It's more of a platform of, of a way that I can engage with you, but you can just go to YouTube and search uh, for W2 Capitalist there in that search engine. All right, now let's get to it with Garrett. W-2 Capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms, founder of the podcast and movement known as the W2 Capitalist. Today, I am super pumped to be in, um, be joined. I can't even talk. My words are away from me by Mr. Garrett B. Gunderson, who tackles a topic, business growth, success, and prosperity that is critically important, yet normally neglected by most business owners, mostly due to the painfully boring presenters in this field. And I would have to agree. Uh, very highly entertaining guy on YouTube. Highly subscribe to Highly recommend that you subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, but as Garrett is the founder of an Inc. 500 firm and author of multiple Wall Street Journal best-selling books and hit the New York Times best New York Times with Killing Sacred Cow, uh, Cows, I got to slow down, a regular on ABC's Good Money. He has also been interviewed by Neil Cavuto on Fox, was kicked off CNBC, which I want to get to the bottom of that. Yep. Uh, he has been featured in over a thousand Radio interviews, been a guest on hundreds of podcasts, and also a paid contributor for Forbes. Spoken at MIT multiple times. If you want to transform your thoughts into profits, keep away more of what you make, keep and grow your, your money without sacrifice or delay. Garrett is your guy, right? So, Garrett, thank you for joining us here, man. So, I like how that's my short bio. It's still kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I must yeah. think a lot of myself, dude. You know, I don't know. <laughs> well, I got to read. I was like, I bet he didn't write this. <laughs> you know, uh, like I was thinking, like I have this box up here to the side of me, and it. My wife gave it to me. It says, "Who is Garrett Gunderson?" I was thinking this is the way to do a bio, so I'm gonna just pull a card out of here, right. one card, <laughs> and like you know, like what does it say? You know, and it's just, that's the whole bio. Just one card. One card? For my wife, who spends the most time with me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they're just, they were all pretty nice things, but they're not what's usually included in a bio. Yeah. It's really the yeah. more personal stuff. You know? More personal stuff about the husband you are, the father you are, that that sort of thing, right? Yeah, leave some of that bad, stuff. Just like the bio, leave out the bad stuff, you know? <laughs> leave some yeah. of that out and just say the good things, but yeah. Uh, so, so tell me about getting kicked off of uh, CNBC. So it was a while back, but um, they brought me on as like they said, one of their financial advisor network people or something like that, correspondence, I don't know. But 
they, this was 2008. And they go, Hey, what would you tell people that want to invest in the stock market? I go, don't. And, uh, <laughs> and they're like, what? And I said, yeah, it's a terrible time. And I, I think we should question this all together and our methodology behind it. So I just started explaining that. And uh, I guess I, I, all I could see was the camera. I was yeah. just in a studio. But one of my buddies that used to work on uh, Wall Street way back in the day calls me. He's like, dude, I was just watching you at the, he was at the gym in New Jersey. And he goes, the guy's eyes got so big when he said don't. And so they just cut to a commercial break, cut me off, and I never heard from them again for, for the producer or anyone. They just, I felt like they just cut early and they're like, yeah, we don't like, the advertisers aren't liking what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were, you were uh, speaking from the heart. You weren't being one of their drones, right? To, uh, I'm not really good at like, I don't have a filter, man. I don't yeah. have like, a, like, it'll just stay there. And tell, like, you're going to say this or else you don't get another thought. So I'm yeah. like, all right, I'm going to say it. Yeah, and I have uh, compressed my filter for about 20 years being in the W2 world and uh, talking to our wives. Our wives know us best. And my wife made a comment last night says, yeah, the filter's, filter's not really uh, on these days, is it? And I was like, nope, it's not. So, that's uh, you know. I think in mine is like a committee that's like up there and they're just drunk and passed out. <laughs> so, like, they're just done. They're, they're like, like, I may only be 42, yeah. but I put in a hundred years of work for them. So they're retired. They're like, yeah. we can't do this any longer too much. And <laughs> they're exhausted. Yeah. Uh, so I was introduced to you through one of my mastermind members. I run a, a weekly mastermind and I got to talking about uh, what I label as a BHAG. I don't remember where I got the term from, but it's big, hairy, audacious goal. Right. And it was, uh, it's, it's to build 300 years of generational wealth for my family. Uh, and one of the mastermind members said, Hey, well, if you read the book by Garrett Gunderson, uh, what would the Rockefellers do? Which I know you had to, you've had to change the name of the title. Now, now people can find it at, um, billionaires method, billionaires method.com. But incredible incredible book it's really what wanted you know this was probably a, you have a really efficient team there at wealth factory by the way um started looking at your stuff i was like okay this guy's for real other than the haircut the hairstyle you and i are very similar right i mean you've you've got i've got a man you've got a mane you got a man bun right there which i've been known to make I, just called, I, I got i got going late today so i didn't uh, have time to blow dry the hair you know? well this is me this is this is about as long as my hair has been for for a decade or so um but no it, you know you've got a couple of kids i've got a couple of kids listeners usually have a couple of kids and we're trying to figure out this how do we build wealth like the rockefellers do using using the what used to be the title of your book right so um you know, it, it, the book just pushed on me that I, there are tactics that I don't know about and that I've got to start diving into. So, uh, at some point in time, we're going to talk about those today, but let's talk about the book first, right? Why the title changed to the billionaire's method. What's funny is when I was writing the book at first, there was no title. Right. And yeah. then, uh, I was talking to the person I was originally writing the book with Mike and I, and I, I, like people always joke that I look like Jesus when my hair's down. So like, <laughs> you you do have that look. <laughs> so I was like, the, what would Jesus do? And I was like, well, what would the Rockefellers do when I was thinking about the money thing? And so that really changed the direction of the book because mm. I'd done a little bit of research on the Vanderbilts versus the Rockefellers. And so I was like, well, let's look at the distinctions and let's, you know, so that 
that took a lot longer to write the book because of the title. And then we got a letter from the Rockefeller attorneys and uh, they basically said, hey, look, we don't have any issue with the book as far as the content in it, that's fine. But we have a financial firm using the Rockefeller name and we're now kind of like, you know, showing up when people are researching mm. on Google and on the S, you know, with SEO. So they just asked if we would be willing to change the title of the book. Uh, you know, they were pretty, they were polite about it overall, but I also knew that if we didn't, we were probably going to lose. And I, I don't really <laughs> want to infringe upon intellectual property or anything sure. like that. And, you know, the, Vern Harnish wrote a book called The Rockefeller Habits, which probably mm. was a little bit of the inspiration and the what would Jesus do kind of combined. And I was like, that's cool because, you know, there's a lot of billionaire families that use so much the same methodology that was really the Rockefeller method. And the Rockefellers were really the ones that, that created the family office, which the title of family office means they had enough wealth that they had their own financial team just for their family, <laughs> right? Their own financial office just for the Rockefeller family. And look, if people aren't worth $300 million, then they're pretty much not going to have a financial team that works exclusively for them. And so there's a way to take some of the main concepts of what they're using to pass on wealth, which they've done for six generations strong now, that could really apply to anyone. And it's not that we could do it exactly like they did it. Um, one of the strategies I talk about in the book is insurance, life insurance in mm -hmm. particular. And they could, they could do things like uh, private placement where they just design their own policy, but you gotta have a minimum of a million bucks usually to get into private placement. Or they could do premium finance where a bank would finance the cash value for them. They actually wow. would treat it almost like a house where they would mortgage the policies. You can but finance they, an insurance policy? Yeah, I have one that way. I have a one premium finance deal. So because I'm just doing to the banks what they've been doing to me for years, which is, you know, I want to earn more interest than they charge me. And that's how they get into business. They mm -hmm. say, hey, cool, we'll give you 1%. Oh, by the way, we'll lend it to you at 4%, which is yeah. a pretty massive markup. So, so yeah, I just started, you know, really going down that route of, okay, how does, how is, how do you create legacy? Because the Vanderbilt's had more money than the U.S. Treasury, yet decimated it and what components were missing that the Rockefellers integrated. And I didn't leave it at that. There's things that I watched a video with my kids just two months ago, which was David Rockefeller talking about like, you know, hey, growing up, I didn't know how wealthy we were, but the kids at school told me because mm -hmm. I wasn't just handed, you know, anything just because I was a Rockefeller, but I did have opportunity. And he goes, and we had these retreats twice a year where we talked about what was going on within the family and the finances and what we were going to do. And they had these certain components, which I definitely highlight in the book, but the, you know, I call that like the family retreat structure, but I also feel like I'm, I'm actually tomorrow and the next day from the time we're recording this running a family constitution event where people actually distill their values and their philosophies mm. and their lessons. And they write it in their own common language as a preamble to their trust. So it becomes a dynamic way to capture like who you are for generations to come. So it's not just writings from attorney, right? which is legalese, it's like your own writing. So, so the book starts to capture some of those things and we quickly changed the title overall to <laughs> not mess with them. But one of the people at the Rockefeller family office actually became a client of ours and uh, I was able <laughs> yeah. to interview her. Um, and you know, like we're pretty, you know, there's nothing that they're rebuttaling in the book. It's yeah. like, okay, just more of the name. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is I, it doesn't sound like you went and asked for permission to do it. Then you just later asked for forgiveness and you got a client out of it and got some recognition. So 
I Dude, love I that. If, if Jay Z could use the Rockefeller name, you know, <laughs> I mean, he's got the he's got their name as the name of his label or whatever. So, uh, I, but I guess he spelled it differently. So maybe that's where I went wrong. I don't know. It had me a minute. It took me a minute to think what you're talking about with Jay Z. My my music choice is not there. Yeah. Rockefeller <laughs> Records. So, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. You, that's, that's the name of his like uh, <laughs> label. I gotcha. I gotcha. You, you make a comment, uh, you know, on, on a lot of your YouTube videos. Uh, apparently I've clicked on something and it might be because I'm subscribed to your channel. I see a lot of your ads and it's about the only ad that I'm going to watch all the way through if I haven't seen it, seen it yet, or just because of a reminder, cause there's a couple of key points you put in there. Um, uh, you know, in this present day and time pesos is, you know, the, the height of the Mecca of where we want to be as far as, as net worth. But your statement is that John D. Rockefeller was nearly twice, two times richer than Bezos, which is hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine what Bezos has now versus where he was 20 years ago flipping burgers. But, you know, it's how does one gather Bezos wealth or even Rockefeller wealth? Where, where do you start? So, look, let's, let's break it down to three components. There's making money. Yep. which is a huge component that people are neglecting. Then there's keeping the money you make, which there's been plenty of news about Bezos not having to pay much in tax. Right. And then there's making money with your money. And where a lot of people go wrong is they try to make money with their money before they've made enough money, before they've mm. built a business, before they've... And because here's how the Rockefellers got extraordinarily wealthy was they made petroleum affordable for everybody. They basically, so there's this, this thing I call the impact equation, which the impact equation is simple. It's either we reach more people or we more deeply impact the people that we reach. Mm. And whether it's Jeff Bezos or whether it's the Rockefellers, they reached more people. They said, how do we, you know, I mean, look, when Bezos started out, he's like, okay, 3% of people have a high speed internet. We're going to sell them books and we're just going <laughs> to focus on people with high speed internet. So he got rich in a niche, right? And then he expanded out. Some yeah. people prematurely diversify and they take money before they've really created a powerful cash flow, and then they put it into something else, and then all of a sudden they have multiple distractions instead of multiple sources of income. And, and these guys just absolutely found a way to reach a large, large number of people. And so I feel like the best investment is you invest in yourself and in your skill sets and in the things that move the needle, and then into a business that allows you to expand your means, allows you to grow your wealth. And then as you grow that, you find ways to save on tax, save on interest, save on insurance costs that doesn't reduce your, your transfer risk or save on non-performing investment fees so that you end up with a lot more push. And you, you know, there's a whole chapter in, in the rock, uh, in the billionaires method book. In there the, you go. The <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Where I talk, where I show like just what saving tax does to wealth or yeah. just what saving on how you structure things. So it's not just about what you earn, it's what you keep. But yeah. I really feel like you know, the big question is what are the major problems out there in the world and how do you become a major part of solving them is how you get extraordinarily wealthy. Yep. And, and you know, it's not trading time for money. It's not a pension. It's not, you know, a lot of what people used to think, which was go to school, get good grades, stand in line, color within the lines, you know, blood, yep. sweat, and tears. And then one day your pension takes care of you. My uncle just died and he actually amassed a decent net worth overall by just having the same job for 46 years and, you know, and putting money into his retirement plan. But he's the exception to the rule, not the rule. Yeah. You know, the rule is you want to have 
substantial wealth, you've got to create substantial value and you got to figure out how to reach people. You know, yeah. even like Henry Ford, dude, that dude wasn't the first guy that invented the car. There were tons of car companies. Yeah. He's the first guy that made it affordable to the common person. And because he made it affordable to the common person, he owned the market at that time. Yeah. Wow. That's so you made a comment there about, um, three different stages, right? You've got to earn some, then you've got to get to a certain spot. How much money do you need to have before your money starts making you more money? And are we talking net worth? Are we talking liquid cash? What are we talking about? I'm not too worried about net worth. Honestly, what I'm more worried about is economic independence, which is having enough recurring revenue that comes from assets or entrepreneurial based income to cover your basic expenses. Cause once you've covered your basic expenses, you choose to work. You're not forced to work. Right. And what happens is every dollar you actively earn can go buy more assets and accelerate your cash flow. Where most people are trying to take 10% of their income and try to invest in the market and hope to get 10%, but it usually fails them. So 10% on 10% is minimal compared to 100% going into more cash flow and getting that kind of really powerful loop there. So that's that's the game is economic independence. Talking about that, you know, you kind of hinted this a little earlier is, you know, we're... we're from a very young age where it's drilled into us, you're going to go to school, you're going to get on the schedule and you're going to take some homework and then you're going to get a job and then you're going to take your job home with you and all that stuff. And I've heard you say America is underneath a failed financial experiment where almost 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, right? Do you think we're also under a, um, a failed educational system? Because I think that's where it all resides, but I, I'm curious to know your 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 thoughts on that as well. Just trying to get me in trouble here because my wife was a school teacher, my sister, <laughs> my mother-in-law, my like aunts, like so <laughs> I made a post recently, which I don't post a lot on Facebook, but I posted and just said, Hey, what if there was a curriculum for investing for kids, a curriculum for investing in oneself and and in enhancing communication skills through speaking and persuasion writing or through emotional intelligence or money and marketing? I got a lot of a lot of attention mm -hmm. because you know honestly math science social studies okay it, you know that helps it's, but a good it's, baseline. Not it's not the answer it doesn't you know like we've got software programs we got calculators and i'm all for developing the brain but the brain you know this school system was really invented by john dewey and john dewey had this philosophy that okay we're gonna have 80 percent of people completely trained to be employees 17% be dropouts that will do the jobs no one else will do, and only 3% that are actually gonna be entrepreneurial. And so it was, a, it was a training ground for employees, and still is. And so, dude, I, it's, it seems insane to me that we're trying to memorize stuff when we have Google. It's <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like we need to learn how to think, we need to learn how to create a vision, we need to learn how to, how to you know, do the things that move the needle, and I get it, there's only so much time in the day, there's a lot of difficulty because there's kids that are just barely, you know, if, if they're not at school, they might not get a meal that day. So there's some right. really tough situations there. But dude, I think COVID people are seeing just how bad some of the schooling is because they're like my high school son, he just didn't learn anything. It was busy work, you know, mm -hmm. now my, my younger son went to a private school that was actually, you know, much, much better. But ultimately, like, what are we learning about money? What are we learning about loving ourselves? What are we learning about creating a compelling, exciting, powerful vision so that we can create a compelling life? What are we learning about 
emotional intelligence. Like we're getting, we're touching on some of those topics, yeah. but we're not getting the full depth. And to me, those are much more important as a human being than mathematics is. And I, I'm yeah. like, I don't mean to dump on math here, but I just think we <laughs> overemphasize it. And we overemphasize like, I don't really remember a lot from biology and chemistry. You know, I don't really remember. Very little. Like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of classes that I put in the time, but it didn't actually improve my mind, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember my uh, eighth grade math teacher uh, who did not allow us to use calculators on tests, making this statement, what, do you think you're going to have a calculator with you everywhere you go your entire life? <laughs> we have these phones that have... Uh, yeah, have no, I do now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things I want to touch on is that is your upbringing, very blue collar, right? That, yeah. you know, we, we didn't really touch on the, the whole story about your grandfather coming to the U.S. We talked a little bit before I hit record. And for anybody listening or watching, highly recommend you go look up Garrett on YouTube and hear that story because it's just... Talk about a guy with, we were actually talking about cojones, right? Uh, picking up everything you have and moving to a country where you don't even speak the language. But you come from a coal, ma coal mining uh, background, very blue collar. And then you decided at some point in time, hey, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go out and figure out this financial piece, right? And I think in the, in the book, you're talking about how at first your, your family, some, some members of your family were like, this guy, no, don't do that. Can you talk about that and how, how now, how you went through, because let me back up here. One of the things that I had trouble with and I, ha I still have trouble with, right? I mean, I'm a layoff of COVID-19. We, we, my wife and I said, okay, this is, our, this is our shot to do real estate investing full time and really take off with the W2 capitalist. And every time I talk to my parents, they're like, hey, found a job yet. Hey, found a job. I mean, they keep asking me, have you found a job yet? And I, not going back, right? I've, I've got that taste of freedom. Right. I don't want to go back. So let's take a break real quick with, with Garrett. And I want to point you to, I don't want to point you to anything, actually. I just want to tell you about it. I want to tell you about the W2 Capitalist Mastermind, right? So I lead a mastermind right now. It's three different sessions every week. Uh, we're completely full, but that sucks for you. But there is a waiting list, right? You can get on the waiting list uh, to come in there. And these are folks from all over the country who struggled to find people within their circle that really could help them and really understand and really push them to accomplish more through real estate investing. And there's relationships being built, there's deals being done. It's about a two year old mastermind now. And it is incredible to see this community, tight niche community grow and push one another to accomplish even more. So if you want to find out and get on the waiting list, because there's about a six month waiting list, check it out. It's w2capitalist.com forward slash mastermind. Now let's get back to Garrett. Can you remember back then when you first started looking into this and, and, and kind of running into roadblocks that were discouraging for you and how you over, overcame those? Right. Well, look, my parents were adamant that I don't go into coal mine. Okay. So they were really like, we'll support you to do anything, but no coal mining. We'll help you with college or whatever. You know, they were really, but at the same time, I want to be an entrepreneur. That was kind of scary because, you know, my mom's grandfather basically tried to do that and had to leave his family for seven years to come to the United States. So there's a lot of scars from that type of a thing. And so as much as they wanted me to do what I want to do, they wanted me to have security and safety and they wanted to, then they, you know, so all they knew is what they knew, but it was really hard to make that decision because I didn't want to let them down. They had invested a lot in me, you know, from time, attention, money, you name it. Like 
extraordinarily supportive parents. So they're just scared, you know, yeah. and, but they went with it you know, and supported it. And it was tough for me to make the decision. But once I did, my grandfather was especially proud because he saw, you know, what I was up to. Um, and it wasn't about like how much money I made or how many accolades or success. It was more like the fact that I was willing to buck the trend just like his dad did. You yeah. know, I think his dad had it a lot harder than me, separated from his family for seven years, coming across the ocean on a boat, not speaking the language, living in a tent forever. Like I've had it pretty cush compared to that, but it still is a perceived level of risk. You know, for sure. me, that's probably that like, it just, it was tough because I went and taught English in Korea, which you probably saw in that video. <laughs> and the three months I was over there, I just missed my family. And then it was shortly after that, that I get this internship when I come home in the financial world. And I decide that's going to be my career and I'm not going to go work for a firm, you know, which I did while I was in college. And it, you know, it's like, okay, are they going to be okay with this? Because I don't want to be lonely or ousted from my tribe in this, you know, right. these important people in my life. But at the same time, I don't want to do something I don't love. I don't want to do, you know, one thing was going to be to potentially move to Milwaukee and work for the number two investment company in the world at the time, which ended up not making it. They're not around yeah. anymore. <laughs> so from, you know, second biggest, second, you know, rated to nothing or, you know, it, so it was, it would have been more miserable taking that route. And I think this is what happens to a lot of people. Censorship is when we expect people to do what we want instead of who they are or what they mm. really want. And so unintentionally, people that love us censor us yeah, because yeah. they're trying to protect us. But sometimes protecting us prevents us from being expressed or yeah. choosing the path that's right for us. And it may seem risky to them because we all, you know, I have different abilities than they do, even though I came from them. And so they see it as risky. I see it as naturally part of an extension of who I am. Yeah. And so that's part of this whole dilemma. But I think that the world kind of celebrates those that embrace courage and do something their own way, you yeah. know, and figure it out. It doesn't mean that it goes smoothly all the time or that it's perfectly easy, but I just think it's really worth it. You know, you said you've got two, two kids, right? How do you yeah. instill in them what you've discovered and, and make sure that they plow their own path, regardless of whatever it is, right? I mean, obviously... Okay. Yeah, I mean, you you won't. I mean, my dad is a retired fireman for the longest time. Even now, he's trying to recruit me to come live back in that city. You know that they still live in, and I, I mean, I'm nowhere near in shape, nor probably would they take me over a 20 year old. Uh, but if it, he had it his way, I would have followed in his footsteps. Number one, I'm not man enough to do that. I, I just not me. Um, but how do you how do you make sure your kids? have the courage to take on that new stuff, right? And, and kind of... Yeah. I told my kids this. I'm like, while you're under my roof, it's like I'm taking you to the amusement park. Some of the rides might seem scary or boring or you don't want to do them or you do want to do them. All I'm going to do is make you ride each ride once and then you get to choose <laughs> from there, right? Like after that, you go, this is the ride that I want to be on. So like right now, it, we're, we're going, we hired this guy, Marcus, he's a comedian that I opened for and he's working with my youngest. My youngest is going to do his first comedic set tomorrow at 12. <laughs> nice. And uh, the jokes are pretty good. I'm pretty impressed. So I'm excited to hear it and get him out there on stage. And so, you know, I just like my mom, my wife's always like, Hey, I don't know what you're going to do as far as clubs in school, but you're going to figure something out. And if you don't, we'll pick for you, but we prefer that you find your own path. And so, so that's part of what we, what we do with them. But I mean, 
this is uh, early in the game, 12 and 15. It's still yet to be determined. I yeah. had this plan right before COVID where I had booked a full month with my oldest son. We were going to go to South Korea where I taught English. Then we go to Cambodia and Vietnam. We're going to do some service projects. We're going to see different parts of the world. We're going to meet different cultures. Because when I went and taught English in Korea, candidly, it was the first time I realized, like, people are people. I grew yeah. up in Utah, and you just didn't, you know, I didn't really have any Asian <laughs> friends, you know, in the small rural town. I was like, these are some of the most peaceful, beautiful people. And I love my time there. And it really helped me to understand this world to be less scary and to be more connected. And, and so like we spent a whole summer in Italy and I think that really changed my youngest son's mindset. They were both a little bit nervous, but then they got there like, this is awesome. I can see him traveling abroad in the future and really kind of, so we're just trying to give them that exposure and have these conversations. We do weekly meetings, weekly, most weeks. And yeah. during those meetings, we're talking about, you know, our family values, our family guidance rules, our family mission statement, what things they're working on, what they want to accomplish or do. And, what their goals are. And honestly, it's, it's, it's harder work than I do in my business because it's hard to stay completely consistent with it and yeah, follow yeah. up because they're relentless at not doing stuff sometimes. <laughs> yeah. They're teenagers. Yeah. The 12 year old oh. says, well, I'm not a teenager, but I'm not a baby. So it makes people confused. They either talk baby <laughs> talk or they either talk to me like, Hey, how's your uh, finances? Have you talked to your CFO today? I was like, dude, that kid is a character. Yeah. I like that. I, I, talking about that and talking about the kids schooling earlier, I remember there's a, an ad I keep seeing on Facebook called Kidpreneurship, where it teaches kids how to do um, entrepreneurs as kids or whatever. Nice. Um, but I, so my son sees me running this business. My wife has a size business. He's five, by the way. And he got real upset one day and he was like, buddy why are you upset he goes i just want to i just want to i just want to be like you and mommy and sell stuff and i was like what do you want to sell so we figured out lemonade was going to be so we haven't done it yet because of because the whole COVID thing but it, it was impressive to see that and like all right how do we keep that you know goal setting and, and mindset to keep going because you know there he's obviously younger than your kids but i can already see all right we want to have right now it's just chaos we have a five three and one one-year-old oh, wow. one teething, uh, three-year-old, she kind of runs the house a little bit. You know what I'm Under saying? four, <laughs> I call the romance terrorist and sleep terrorist stage. <laughs> that's, yeah, a great, that's, that's a great That's uh, a great label because that's accurate. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it, you know, it's uh, we've got to tap into what you just talked about, those weekly or biweekly meetings because he, you know, he set up a goal uh, or I set up a goal this year for him to learn how to swim, right? Nice. And then, and then one day we're out in the pool and he was like, I don't want my life jacket today. Okay. You know, swim from one side to the next. Yeah. So he just, he didn't make it the first time I had to, you know, scoop him up and he'd swallow some water and whatever. And he goes, and I said, you done for now? He goes, Nope, not quitting. I'm doing it. I was like, <laughs> proud dad moment here good moments sure. I, I hope to be able to carry that over for financial uh steps as well so i've got to figure out so it's, it, it's good to hear you having those kids they're a little bit older that y'all have those weekly meetings and for the young kids i love the program love and logic we actually took a okay. course but there's also a book super helpful um that's the stuff that we used at their age yeah love and logic all right i'll have to check that out very helpful um, so let's get technical here for a minute. Back to the book. You mentioned cash flow index, which I don't think I've heard until I read your book. 
briefly describe what that is. Help me understand it a little bit further. So one of the guys that, that uh, was a client of mine then started working for our firm, developed it. And it's all, all you do is you take the loan balance of any loan that you have and divide it by the minimum required monthly payment. It spits out a number. Okay. If that number is less than 50, you have a very inefficient loan. If that number is greater than 100, you have a very efficient loan, meaning a pretty good amount of money that, uh, that you borrowed with a relatively low payment in relationship to that. Where when you have a low cash flow index, you don't have that much money that you borrowed in relationship to the payment. So it actually is a cash flow killer. Between 50 and 100 is kind of the zone where we like people to look at restructuring, renegotiating, or reallocating, where you might have funds that are underperforming that could pay off this higher interest rate, you know, loan. Okay. So cash flow index, the goal is pay the minimum to any loan, but the one loan with the lowest cash flow index is the only one you pay extra to, and it's going to create an effect to improve your cash flow. Gotcha. Quickest. Yeah. Beautiful. That's freaking awesome. Um, you know, it, and it's tools like that that you and your staff can help. I mean, you guys help. Um, well, let's just, let me ask you this question because I've talked to a couple of members on your staff already. Always impressed when I talk to them. Uh, one of the, and I, I don't remember his name, which is horrible for me to say that. Um, I even meant to look it up before we got on this call so I could just reference him, but it, it slipped my mind. I got caught up on YouTube. I got caught, caught up watching your YouTube videos. Nice. Uh, but he, you know, we're just sitting here chatting just about different stuff and kind of where I'm at and, and kind of different programs that y'all offer and stuff. And he goes, he goes, well, I'm looking at your YouTube channel right now. And he said, I see your kids are up there. And he goes, are you paying them any money? Or are you writing this off? He goes, cause you can, there's a standard $2,500 modeling fee per person or per kid that you can write off. I was like, why isn't my CPA telling me this? I was like, what is up with that? So anyway, I've got to have a conversation with him. Uh, nice soon so stuff like that i'm like that that's brilliant and, we, and then we got to talking about uh estate planning and, and different stuff different things you'll have but you guys help business owners and entrepreneurs enhance their financial tools can you give right. us like some examples of, of some of those that you and your team do on a, on a weekly or or monthly basis so because the rockefellers built the family office we decided to build a more accessible virtual version of that so that we could have a comprehensive, coordinated, you know, cohesive financial team for people. So we've got a bunch of a lot of uh, uh, attorney, or sorry, accountants. We've got law firms. We've got investment advisors, cash flow specialists, risk management people, and then we have one-on-one -on -one coaches that help navigate that process. Get the financial people to give you a second opinion to make mm -hmm. sure what you're doing is either done right, or what you do to improve it, or if it's missing, actually implement it. So. We're a tuition-based backed by results and guarantees. So someone writes us a check to hire us. We're not a commission-based firm or we're not trying to manage their assets because I think robots are doing a better and better job with that. So <laughs> people can just save money on it. Um, so yeah, so we help people kind of organize their financial, get their financial house in order, then work towards economic independence. And then if they have a business, use that extra cash flow that we help them with to grow that business. Very cool. And earlier we were talking about net worth and kind of how much money you have to decide or start with mm -hmm. uh, this whole life insurance. But what does your ideal customer look like from uh, income standpoint or net worth? I know you said you don't really look at net worth. And which our, I love. I've never yeah. heard anybody say that before. Net worth isn't part of our considerations. It's not even on our, like, at all. We gotcha. have a program for business owners that, that are doing at least $100,000 in net income. And it doesn't matter whether they're married or not, 
um, or how long they've been in business. That one is kind of our bigger program as far as the number of people we reach, because it's a hybrid of some individual with some group support. But if people do our other program called the Fast Track, it's for people doing between one and 10 million in revenue. So a little bit higher standard there, you know, typically looking for people who are married, still have kids at home, feel like they're yeah. paying too much in tax between ages 35 and 60, yeah. um, you know, like have, have a loan, like that's our Freedom Fast Track program. And then we actually, uh, just not that long ago, maybe a year and a half ago, we created a program for people that haven't started their first business or their, their income hasn't hit that level we just talked about where we've got, it's mostly done through group work with the concierge and I'm even involved in it to really help people boost that up. So we got three different programs. You know, our main um, two programs are really built primarily for the entrepreneur and the other programs really for anyone. And then for the really highly wealthy and affluent people, we refer those out just because it just, we don't have the capacity and the time because we're here to liberate 1 million entrepreneurs. We're not here to work with people who already have a really good access to a team and people are fighting over doing business with them because they could manage their, you know, tens of millions of dollars and all that. We've done a little bit of that in the past and it just consumed way too much of our time and it didn't move the needle for me because I felt like most of them had access to pretty good advice and most entrepreneurs don't. I love that. I think that says a lot about you and, and the laser focus of your company and what you feel like is your mission, right? Because you can get, and I, I'm coming from a completely different world, but you know, when I was a principal at an IT company, we did networking and whatnot. And my boss slash owner was always looking for these huge deals that would take us weeks to implement, you know, or it felt like weeks. It was really just a hundred hour week. Uh, and you know, the thing is, it, it was great on the monthly, right? But when they left, and they did quite frequently, because we couldn't support them, it was a huge, huge hit. So I love that you know exactly yeah. your focus, well, right? You, you've who we're, who we're helping and who we're not, you know? Yeah. How did you come up with the elaborate 1 million entrepreneur? Elaborate. Um, <laughs> liberate. Uh, liberate uh, 1 million entrepreneurs, yeah. What? Well, I just knew that I needed to have a vision I didn't know how to accomplish because yeah. if I did that, it would give me this access to collaborate at a new level and to innovate and to never retire from something because there was always still work yeah. to be done. And so it was something that took time and we got together with some of the you know executives and partners in Wealth Factory to really talk about it and uh, that really landed and we're really looking for first generation wealth to help them change their family's financial future and their yeah. destiny when it comes to not putting the next generation into bondage or into entitlement because they're just handed too much money that they're not ready to handle, you know? Yeah. I, th I think there's something we're going to wrap up because we said, I said 30 minutes and we're way over that. <laughs> so, cause I just, uh, just enjoying the conversation, just saw the clock, but I, I think there is something for what's happening today with COVID and maybe it's cause I'm who I'm putting myself around. Like, uh, you know, I'm consuming all of your stuff and, and there's probably right. another 99 folks out there that I'm consuming constantly really getting away from corporate America. But I think corporate America is really in trouble with, you know, you've got millennials who are not saying, Hey, I'm not working for those coins that you're trying to give me. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to find my thing and I'm going to make some real dollars. And then, you know, there's just no loyalty. And enjoy anymore. life along the way. Yeah, yeah. You know? And yeah. there's no loyalty in corporate America anymore. I mean, it's just, it has, hasn't been for a long time. And there's just a lot. I mean, how many, how many companies in the Fortune 500 do you love? Do you want to do I this? don't know any companies in the Fortune 500. <laughs> you know, it's like, like even as a customer, 
Yeah. How many of those businesses do you want around long term? I mean, there's some, but there's plenty that I'm like, I don't love doing business with that company. And I think that's going to be a lot of trouble for those companies. Yeah. I, I think they're, I think they were on the verge of, you know, they talk about the industrial revolution at some point in time, the industrial age. I think we're on the verge of the corporate age coming to a halt. Maybe, maybe not in my lifetime, but sometimes well, too. It's been time to, you know, have people enjoy and be more engaged, you know? Yep. Yep. Like basically two thirds of the workforce is not engaged in the work they were doing. So hopefully this, you know, pandemic has people rethink what they're going to do with their lives and not it, just trade their lives for something for a one day someday. Cause that never yeah. really comes. It did for me. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's wrap up. You are uh, a notice part in your bio that I didn't read is that you enjoy being a stand up comedian, which I did not know about you until this. And now I heard you say earlier, your son is uh, doing his first bit. Uh, how did, did, is this something you just enjoy doing? Like, tell me the, are you like a Seinfeld okay. fan? What's the, <laughs> no, like when I was a kid, like I have this, my dad's side of the family and then my mom's side of the family, very different. One side's Catholic, the other side's Mormon. Like they just operate differently. But the one commonality is they all loved when I would come and tell jokes. And so it was the time that everybody gathered around, I'd tell my jokes and everybody would be laughing and, and hanging out. And it just brought us all connected and together. And and that's where the love of, of comedy started for me was really within this like commonality with my families. And so um, I have a, a friend that I went to high school with that's a really good comedian. And uh, another another uh, guy he teamed up with where they would do these corporate gigs where they do these musical comedy shows. I hired him. And then I said, I'd, I'd like to do some standup. So uh, my wife's always like, you're not as funny as you think you are. You're having people make money. So that's why they're laughing. She has to tell you that though. Dude, I don't blame her. In 2005 at a formal financial function, I got up on a microphone and started telling jokes when the band was finished. She didn't go great. So, um, so she was always worried more for herself than me, but yeah, I mean, she doesn't want you to embarrass her. That's embarrass what, her, totally. and so one day we're just at a baseball game and I'm telling jokes and she's like, these are funny. Where'd you come up with them? I'm just making it up. She goes, oh. so I was like, Oh, she's actually thinking my jokes are funny. And then I go speak at my buddy Keith's event in Vegas a few days later and he introduces me as being effing hilarious. And I was like, dude, I'm about to give a financial talk. But I just told some jokes and they laughed. So I just called my buddy Marcus. I'm like, hey man, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, why? I'm like, come, let's, I want to write a set and do a, a open mic. He goes, all right. So I wrote a set and did an open mic two weeks later. And he goes, why don't you start opening for me? I thought that was really funny. So started doing that. Now I have an, an agent and everything and uh, working on, a, on an hour special right now. So it's going That's a little awesome. slow because I've got a book I'm working on too, but it's fun. I really enjoy it. That's funny. Do you, uh, do you have a favorite dad joke you like to tell your kids? Oh, I have inappropriate things that I tell my kids. Like anytime... That's fine. Hit me one. <laughs> yeah, like, like my favorite was the kids were misbehaving, right? And my wife's always like, hey, we're not going to hit the kids, right? So um, we're never we're spanking. And so I was like, well, I always got my ass beat growing up. Oh, yeah. Exactly. With the belt. I was like, yeah. So, so I told, so one day the kids are misbehaving during COVID and she's like, just make them stop. So I said, no, I'm like, hey, guys, I can't hit you. But if you don't knock it off, I'm going to have to start beating your mother. And, uh, so that's the kind of insane humor that we have in the family. Yeah, yeah. You know? And my wife was like, you could chop me in the throat if they'll just shut the hell up. So she, she just joined in. Right? Just it's funny. So. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to laugh at. Please don't ever do that. Uh <laughs> 
just jokes, everybody. They're just jokes. Reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last night, my uh, thundering dad voice came out so loud that I think my neighbors went to their room and shut their doors because our kids were just. Uh, hey, man. Anyway. It's you, part of life. You, got, you love your kids ninety-seven percent of the time. <laughs> I love them all the time. I don't mean I don't get that. I don't yeah, but three percent of the time you forget about it because you're just like <laughs> you. Why? Like when they're older, you can love them hundred percent of the time. But if you're not, if you're not insane, a few uh, a few percentage points, As that them, you, you might be onto something there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, you might be onto something. Um, well, Garrett, thank you, sir. Thank you for going over thank and thanks, really man. appreciate the conversation. Enjoy the book. I'm going to call it what would the Rockefellers do? I know you can't, it's, but people can find it at billionairesmethod.com. There's S on the end of billionaires, right? Yep. So, um, enjoyed it, man. Really do appreciate it. Is there any other way, any other, uh, things you want to reference people the best way to contact you or is it just to go to Bill? I love you said YouTube, Garrett Gunderson TV, youtube.com forward slash Garrett Gunderson yeah. TV or in an internet browser, Garrett.live. Like five videos a week, man. Putting a lot out of there. great stuff out there, and you get to get to see the the beautiful hair that comes down. It's not in a, it's not mm-hmm. normally in a man bun like it is today. So, yeah. All right, man. Hey, thanks, <laughs> thanks so Garrett. Much. Appreciate it. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Garrett as much as I did. Uh, I felt like I was a giddy schoolgirl at times, just being able to tap into his brain and just have a conversation with him. Um, he definitely is very, he comes across as very transparent and very just down to earth guy who's figured it all out, right? And kind of where we all want to go. Um, so I want to, I want to invite you to go check out what he's got going on over at Wealth Factory. Um, you can, best way to get there is through billionaires. There is an S on billionaires, billionairesmethod.com. But before you go there, I want to mention Dilcheck, right? It's one of our affiliates, one of our most popular affiliates. Really, if you're looking for a calculator for any niche in real estate investing, uh, Dilcheck is it for you, right? It's free to sign up and you only cost, it only costs you something when you start unlocking pieces of software that you need, but it's free to try. And then uh, remember the promo code W2CAP. W2CAP is going to get you 25% off uh, for whatever subscription method you're on, right? For multifamily, for single family buying holds, uh, for rental, uh, that is rentals, for flips, for burrs, and they just introduced uh, some, some wholesaling pieces in there as well. So check those out and we'll catch you on the flippity flip. <laughs>